everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Christian in Progress. My name is Samuel Perez, and just a little bit about myself, I am a former gay stripper. Yes, that's right, you heard that correctly. I left behind the homosexual lifestyle to walk with Christ. And this podcast is all about how I do it, why I do it, and to help others like me and educate those that maybe are not like me. I want to talk, but I really want to talk about what a real life with Jesus looks like in 2022. Nothing is off limits, and I want to be as transparent as I possibly can be. Before we get started, I want to let everybody know that this podcast is completely free to listen to, and we do accept donations. We have some awesome rewards and gifts for those who want to become patrons of the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Podbean, click on the description and you'll find the link to becoming a patron of the podcast, which means you'll be making a regular monthly commitment. And we also have my website, SamuelAbrahamPerez.com, where you can find resources to give through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App. So on today's episode, I have a really awesome guest. His name is Sathya Sam, and we share a common name there. He is an addiction recovery coach with a brand new book, The Last Relapse, and I actually have a copy right here. I've been reading it today. It's super cool. So welcome to the podcast, Sathya. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me here. You gave me a killer interview for my podcast, so um, I'm just honored to be back here and hopefully return at least half the favor. Yeah, for sure, man. I loved I First off, the fact that people invite me to their podcast is like such a special thing. So I'm like honored and I'm honored to have you here as well. I think like you're one of the few people that I've had that has actually released a book. And honestly, I'm so excited to talk about this book because I think it might help a lot of people. Actually, I know that it's going to help a lot of people, especially if it helped you. So tell us a little bit about like who you are how you got to write this book. Like, tell us a little bit about your testimony, how you came to walk with the Lord, how you came to know Jesus. Like, where are you from? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Canada. Uh, that's kind of home for me. I'm, we're recording this in Jamaica. That's where I am right now. It's actually, I, was, I wasn't going to say this, but it's surreal watching you hold the book because uh, Jamaica Postal Service is just a little bit rough. So like, I, it's been so hard for me to get a physical copy of my book because it released while we've been living here. And um, every time I see a physical copy, I'm just, I get excited, man. So that was, that was really cool seeing it. Um, it's actually like really, like really nice too. <laughs> like, oh, it's good. like, it's like really tough and like, it, it feels really soft. So who did you publish okay. this with? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I self-published it. I hired a company uh, called Book Launchers. They helped me with it. So. Wow. Yeah. This uh, is incredible guys. It feels they, really good. <laughs> yeah. They did. They did a good job with it. Okay, cool. Um, let me answer your question. So I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a third generation pastor, so that means that his dad and his dad's dad were all pastors, so it definitely runs in the family. Very churched. I was a Sunday school superstar, really, uh, you know, knew all the stories of the Bible well, knew how to kind of show up to church and do church. And at the same time, my parents also forked out the cash for us to get a Christian education. So I was going to a private Christian school. So it was just church and God kind of all around. And I think for the most part, people would say that and go, wow, that's amazing what a great heritage, what a great environment to sort of grow up in. And I would have to agree, I was very fortunate, had a good upbringing, and mom and dad were the same people off the stage that they were on the stage. So no, uh, you know, no hypocrisy with the pastors, uh, nothing like that, like just very stable, consistent home. When I was 11 years old, I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school. And bro, this is in 2001. So this is before broadband internet, or maybe just as broadband internet is kind of bursting to the scene. This is before smartphones. Like it was, it was, it was accessible. Not like it was today, but even back then, um, you know, people were still getting exposed at a relatively young age. And for mm. me, like my my buddy just came over to me in the lab, and he was like, 
uh, yo, my soccer friend told me to check out this website. And we punched in a very <laughs> innocent sounding website. And um, I honestly didn't even understand what I was seeing. And I, I, was, I was very innocent, very naive. I was definitely the kid in school who was just a little bit, a little bit gullible. And so um, this was like, this was like totally shocking to me. I had never seen anything like that before. Wow. And there, there was a small part of me that was intrigued and aroused by it. I remember that. But honestly, a majority of me was just totally mortified. Now, keep in mm. mind, I was 11 years old. I hadn't really hit puberty and that kind of stuff yet. And because I was a bit more sheltered, I hadn't really been exposed to sexuality at all, uh, very, very minimally at that point. So when I did hit puberty and I did start to kind of get more curious about my sexuality, the seed was planted. I, I remembered what I saw. I remembered the website. And mm. I started to go back there. And obviously, one thing leads to another. You start clicking around. And by the time I was high school age, I was watching porn regularly, still in Christian education, still going to church regularly, serving on worship teams, but really getting enslaved to this porn thing. And what compounded everything was that my peers were also watching porn. So classmates at my Christian school who were also attending church and everything else, mm. we, it was just, I don't know, it was kind of this weird thing. We all knew that we all watched it. We knew we probably shouldn't, and we kind of didn't care that we did. It was one of those weird things. Fast forward, I go into university, my plan was to become a psychiatrist. I, I lost a bunch of friends to suicide in high school, had this really strong pa passion for mental health and studied the sciences. And I, I mean, I, I'm very studious. So, you know, I, I was getting straight A's. I was making the dean's list. Uh, I got five figures in research grants to work in the labs there. I would work wow. part time, like very hard worker, volunteered working with kids with autism, like just stacked up the resume, all with the intention of going to med school. And in the middle of my degree is where I would say God really got a hold of my life. Um, the interesting thing about studying the sciences, this would be another episode for another day, but it's a very atheistic environment. You know, the idea of God is kind of mocked. It's assumed you don't believe in him. And yeah. so my faith really uh, was confronted because I had, like I said, I had grown up in a, kind of a, a strong Christian environment, both academically at school and at home. And so to have these very intelligent people telling me something different with, you know, proof and very strong logical arguments, that was really hard on my faith. And I had to kind of figure out why do I believe what I believe in? How do I know it's real? And in that process, I realized, you know, it, it's not the amount of evidence that really matters. You could put all the evidence against it in the world, but faith is really a matter of the heart first. And in my heart of hearts, I knew Jesus was real and I knew he was worth my life. And when I reached that conclusion, it was like, okay, God, you have everything. You know, like I know I've kind of done this dance a little bit, one foot in, one foot out, but now I'm in, I give, I give my life to you. And because I had grown up churched, I knew what that meant. I knew the lifestyle. I knew the changes that came with it. It meant I was <laughs> going to drink more responsibly if I was going to drink at all. It meant I was going to clean up my language. And it meant I was going to stop watching porn. And, you know, cleaned up the language, not a big deal. A couple weeks, I'm like good to go. Drinking responsibly, I could make that decision on, honestly overnight. Like alcohol just didn't have that kind of stronghold in my life. I was doing it more for social purposes. But I could not for the life of me shake porn. And mm. that was the first time I realized, oh my gosh, I actually have a problem. And mm. I, I installed internet filters. I got accountability partners. I started opening up to just a couple friends that I felt safe to, to talk to about it. And all of it would help for little bursts, a week here, maybe a couple weeks, maybe even a month there. But I'd always come back. We called it the binge purge cycle. And after I binged, I would, you know, I would run to my bedroom and I'd lock the door and I'd say, God, I'm so sorry. I, this is the worst feeling in the world. I'll never let you down again. I'll never do it again. And a couple weeks later, I'd, I'd be back in that same place. So just caught in this really awful cycle and didn't know how to get free. And for two years, I suffered like that, being like, 
I've given my life to Jesus. I know I need to get clean and I didn't know what to do or how to, how to kind of take the next step. And eventually by God's grace, a few doors opened up and I, I start to get some more healing of the heart. I actually joined a program that really emphasized heart healing, heart transformation. And that was where I really started to actually grow and started to heal and started to understand what it meant to tackle the root issues of a problem in your life, whether it's an addiction or some sort of just behavioral pattern or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was where I really started to notice progress. And it was sort of like I was changing. And as a result, I was making different decisions, better decisions. You know, I was walking more in my identity in Christ and I made more Christ-like decisions as a result. And it still took a few more years of that. But 2016, Feb- February 2016 was when I had my last relapse. And I had always purpose in my heart that one day I would get free and when I did I would help as many other men as possible get free as well and women and so it took me a couple of years before I felt a release in my heart uh, from the Lord to really actually step into this but mm-hmm. December 2018 is when we launched Deep Clean and you know the rest is history just published a book as you mentioned we have uh, the number one daily podcast for addiction recovery spaces and we've helped over hundreds of guys get free of pornography so uh, you know that, a little bit of kind of a nutshell of the story and how all this came about. That is incredible, man. Wow, I did not know that you had like number one podcast on addiction recovery. Yeah. That's super yeah, cool. Man. I'm going to be on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, there's so many things that you were saying, you know, um, while you're talking about your first time encountering um, like pornography, it really got me thinking about the first time that I kind of encountered it. So I've got like two stories which are actually really crazy. Um, I was, do you remember... LimeWire back in the day. Dude, of course, Kazaa, <laughs> LimeWire, all that good stuff, man. So for those Generation Z that are watching this, back in the day, we didn't have Spotify. We didn't have um, Apple, like those types of streaming services. I think the only streaming service was like something with a cat. I forgot what its name was. Um, but we had to download our music through this like <laughs> weird application called LimeWire. And you could download music videos on there. It was like super complicated and weird. Um, And it was like illegal. (laughs) And one time I was searching like um, a music video for, I think, Fergalicious or something like that. And I don't know how I came across this thing. But like I I searched up the music video. I pulled up the uh, like the file and I was there with my buddy and we were on the computer. I think I was like I was so young. I was probably maybe like. I don't know, 13 or 12 or something like that. And um, and we pull up the file, we open up the file, and like right in front of the, the, the kid, I think he was much younger than me, um, it, it was my neighbor, it was like pornography. But it was like, it was like Fergie-themed pornography. It was like a woman that looked like Fergie. And huh. it was like so quickly, like I, it opened up, and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Because I was like not exposed to any of this type of stuff, like either as a kid. I was like, I grew up in a very really religious household and so I like I X'd out immediately but he had seen it I had seen it and I was like what was that was that Fergie <laughs> and like those what? types of like things are like you know happening especially I can only imagine now like kids that are experiencing like a crazy amount of pornographic content online like if it was easy to get to it back then how much more easier is it now that's like we got TikTok, we got YouTube. So this is becoming a huge problem um, with individuals. And, you know, back then, even I remember same thing, PSP. You remember PSPs? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> portable, I remember that. Portable Playstations. Like people were having like in my class, like the kids were watching like porn on the uh, portable the stations, you know, PlayStations. And um, 
it's just, it was everywhere back then. I'm sure it's everywhere now. And the problem just keeps getting like worse and worse and worse and worse. So you writing a, a book like this, um, giving like problem solving to people uh, uh, based on this addiction and most people don't even know that they have an addiction like even even for myself I've, I've talked about this struggle a bunch on my channel um, and even your first introduction within the books talking about how you had moments of of weakness and then you would go back and then you would like relapse and then you would think you'd be free but then you're not free and then you go back in and it's like this needs to be talked about. And so um, let's talk about like the first time that you ever like watched porn. You mentioned like a little snippet of that. Um, what was the first time that you were like, you remember that website that you were talking about and then you got into it? What were some of those feelings that were involved? And like, what were you thinking like during that time when you were getting into that pornography? Yeah, so I think to answer that question, I'll go a little bit further back. I, mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking about sexuality and sex and kind of wondering about female body parts probably as early as the age of four or five and even starting to develop uh, a little bit of fantasy at that stage now very innocent fantasy but like I guess just like having the curiosity nobody's talking to me about it so all I can do is really imagine like that's mm. kind of all I was left to and I, I mentioned that because I think when I did get exposed it was like oh finally a place where I can go and get some more answers, you know, because, and again, like, I, granted, I, I knew it wasn't probably the best source of answers, but this was the only access I had to anything that was sexual at all. My parents, in addition to being like more conservative Christians, my parents are both Indian. So like mm. Indian culture is just like very hush about these things. You don't talk about yeah. it. Don't bring it up. Just like enjoy sex when you get married. That's like pretty much all you're told. And so there was, because there was no conversation happening, I think that was actually the thing that was really exhilarating about that experience was like oh my gosh finally I can get some answers for you know what things look like and mm -hmm. how does this thing really work and you know just I, I think trying to understand that that was sort of what was going on at a more fundamental level um, and then like I said there was there was a mixture of sort of disdain as well kind of knowing it was wrong knowing it was dirty feeling like I had made a horrible mistake uh, when the website came up I actually remember this was back in the day man when like um, laptops were like super expensive so most computers were desktops and you had the monitor yeah. that had like the big circular power button at the front and so I remember like my buddy and I just like ah like trying to cover the screen and trying to like bash in the power button because we were in a public place and we didn't want people to see what we were looking at and get the wrong idea you know so it was just <laughs> like a weird mixture of like kind of arousal and uh, a bit of relief of like oh I can finally get some answers and also like feeling mortified at what was on the screen and not not knowing really what my, other people might think kind of just again that that shame of like we need to cover this thing up and and wash our hands clean as quickly as possible mm. yeah you know there's so much shame that's involved in all those things and um we're gonna get to the million dollar question which is like how do we get freedom from these types of things but before we do um why do you think that there is so much like shame and hiding involved when it comes to pornography especially when people um, are struggling with that like even within the the christian church like during your times of research and studying and why is it that people are so afraid to talk about it or when they're going through that struggle even with accountability partners or with um with their church communities like why is there so much shame and in, like involved in the pornography why can't we just openly talk about like oh man i'm really struggling in this area yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think there's probably two layers of how we understand shame. The 
The surface layer of shame that the world is starting to understand is this whole thing about being hidden. And it's that if you, if you don't talk about something, you are more susceptible to shame. When things stay hidden, shame exists. But I would say what undergirds shame in general is the fear of disconnection. So mm. shame is always a possibility if rejection or disconnection is a possibility. And that's really important to matter, uh, or sorry, that is really important to consider because I think we, we often just think like, okay, so I guess all, the, all we need to do is just start talking about sex more. The mm -hmm. pastors just need to preach their, their sermons on Sunday. We need to have more open conversations and we should be good to go. Actually, that's not true at all. That, that's only one side of the equation. That, that deals with the hiddenness part. So yes, people are like, okay, finally we're talking about this. But just because you talk about it doesn't mean the shame all suddenly disappears because yeah. we, we have people in our community where it's like everybody understands we're all working through porn addiction. There's virtually nothing hidden, like everything's in full display, but these guys are still dealing with shame because yeah. there, there's a process of understanding that who you are is worthy of love and that it is better to be your true self and risk the disconnection than to try to cover up parts of you or try to conform to a certain image so that you're you're receiving acceptance from other people around you, and I think um, I think that is actually the real secret sauce of breaking shame is that we have to learn to love and unconditionally accept everybody, even if they have different beliefs, even if they have attractions that we're like, oh, that's a little bit strange, or I didn't know people could be into that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's really in the experience of love when you are no longer hidden. That's where shame really breaks uh, breaks down. And it's, it's not as simple as just preaching a message about it on a Sunday morning. It, it takes time. It, it takes integrated community. And it really takes a lot of relationships or sorry, a few relationships with a lot of trust. Yeah, man, that's so on point, especially because I have a little bit of a story, too, because even speaking about these things like, you know, we say all the time, especially like in our Christian communities, like, oh, we can be honest and we should be honest and we're encouraged to like not lie to each other and all this stuff. So I went out to eat like just recently and I was talking about how um, I had really found like uh, something right now that that is working for me in terms of accountability for from pornography. And um, we were all seated at, seated at like the dinner table and we were all just like talking about our weeks and stuff. And like we were talking about our the time that we had just spent in the prayer room. And I was talking about the the relationship that I was sharing with the Lord and how I found like freedom like from pornography and like this aspect of that week or whatever and I remember like talking about the pornography like straight up right there and then in front of everyone and then immediately feeling like oh my gosh maybe I shouldn't have said anything or like this is like yeah. a shameful thing or like maybe I shouldn't be talking about this like how how do you like even yourself who's written a book about this who's like basically come on the internet and, and been like you know, guys, I struggled with this for such a long time. Like, how do you get past the opinions of people when you're working through that addiction, like recovery and or when you're when you want to be honest, like how, how do you put it within your mind to not freak out every single time? Like, oh, I talked about pornography. Did I make someone uncomfortable? Should I not have said that? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, the, the best environment for shame to heal in is safety and it. I, I would not be public and posting about my addiction probably even three or four years ago when I knew God had done a work because I didn't have that security within myself to really feel like I can put myself out here and I don't care what people think. That is cultivated with time. 
And that, that is a great goal to have. But for somebody who maybe is still like rife with the shame of an addiction, that's not your goal right now. That's like, that's something down the road. Your goal is to take little baby steps uh, to find like who is the safest person in your life that you can go talk to about this and start there. That's, that's step one. That was my first step like 10, 12 years ago. And, and little by little, you start to kind of cultivate more security. You start to feel more comfortable within yourself. And eventually you can, you can absolutely reach that place, but it, it takes time and um, it certainly doesn't happen in a day. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So what is like this deep clean methodology that you talk about in your book? Because a lot of people have different like recovery. Like I, I remember one of my favorite books is um, from Joyce Meyer and it's called Beauty for Ashes. And she has kind of her own little system of like where it talks about root systems and you even have like a little bit of like a, a root here oh, yeah. in oh, your yeah. picture. Um, and I think it all kind of like works similarly. But what is your methodology when it comes to can you talk to us a little bit about that deep clean like process? Yeah. So the heart of deep clean is really to resolve the root issues of porn and masturbation. So that's why the root system is on the cover of the book and mm -hmm. it's in a lot of our, our language and messaging. So when we say resolve the root issues, what we mean is we're not trying to curb behavior. Well, what we're trying to do is actually transform the person's heart mm -hmm. so that the behavior changes as a result. The behavior is a downstream impact of the internal life. And so yeah. if you can clean up your internal life, then eventually your lifestyle starts to match that and reflect it. So deep clean basically hinges on three pillars and each pillar comes with a mantra. So the first pillar is self-awareness. And the mantra there is if you are not aware, it cannot be repaired. And the basic idea there is there are tons of things going on within us. There's feelings, thoughts, beliefs, paradigms, perceptions that are all influencing how we de make decisions, how we perceive ourselves and the lives that we lead. And sometimes we don't even realize how those things are impacting us. And so we, we teach guys how to develop that awareness within so that they can actually start to tackle those more underlying root issues. The second pillar is healing, healing of the heart. And our mantra here is that he who is most vulnerable heals the quickest. And this is where we teach people really the power of vulnerability, learning to love yourself in spite of your imperfections and what mm. it's like to experience God's unconditional love. And I think in that place is where guys really do start to, uh, I would say, change. That's where you can tell the tide is sort of turning. And it leads really nicely into the third pillar of recovery, which is identity, uh, excuse me, establishing your identity in Christ. And the mantra there, I already kind of said it actually, uh, but the mantra there is I would rather be my true self, 100% my true self and rejected than 80% my true self and accepted. And it's teaching guys to be boldly their authentic selves. Again, it doesn't happen overnight. It's cultivated with time, but we've created a, a community and a culture where uh, it's a little bit more naturally occurring, I would say. And you have people that are kind of spurring each other on. So that's that's kind of the system. Uh, we, we put in coaching in there, we put in a community, and we try, to, we try to offer as many supports for people to go through that process as effectively as possible. Yeah, man, that's so great. You know, it, it does remind me a lot of, um, of the, even the Joyce Meyer book. Um, but a lot of men, they're not going to read a Joyce Meyer book. <laughs> true, true. And so, like, they're not going to pick up Beauty for Ashes because you're going to be like, what is this? <laughs> and I'm sure that, like, reading it from a guy himself is like gonna be so much better be like oh this guy like he probably gets it um and you have things in here that are, are gonna be unique to 
like even you said it within the introduction of the book, it's like there's unique things that you have found within your own like recovery process that is also going to be helpful for somebody else or maybe not helpful for some other people. But I, I completely agree with you that first it has to start with that root system of understanding like, wait a second, the fruit is a result of the actual root. And so if we try to target the fruit, we're doing the wrong thing. Like if I try to target like, Every time that I act out on the pornography, I'm not realizing the triggers that are behind that. And so I have to first focus on the triggers. What's the trigger? That, like, let's say, for example, we're going to get in the real. Like one of my triggers is um, like loneliness and definitely um, valuelessness. So I struggle a lot with what you were saying about feeling valuable within my own self. And the only one that can really fill, fill me with the value that is of my identity is Jesus Christ because he's the one who like loves us unconditionally. He's the one who tells us like why we're here, what we're doing these things for. So yeah. I'll go to like the gym and then I'll see like these big buff dudes and I'll be like, man, like, am I not like manly enough? Like, am I do am I not like strong enough as a man? And then, you know, the, the, the devil will take that and pervert that and then just be like, well, maybe you should like want to use them for your own gain and, you know, or, or look at them or strip them naked or, you know, watch them in pornography or something um, to be able to feel better about, you know, the trigger that you just experienced, which is not the nakedness, not the distraction, not the gym. It's the trigger of the inside, which was that um, valuelessness, you know, not, not feeling like I have any type of value, not feeling like I have anything to offer put on the, on the table. What were some of your like triggers when it came to pornography that you were like, I had to nip this in the bud? Yeah, great question. So when I was struggling, like in my university days, I was living with my parents still. I was in their basement and just being in my room with unstructured time was the worst. And my brain would go there like instantly. It's just so funny how like my brain would just recognize, oh, I have the house to myself. There's no fear of getting caught. And like, Boom, like it's just laser focused on my laptop, you know, <laughs> so that was that was really, really tough. So I had to start. I started doing two things. Number one, I really learned the power of shifting your environment. So this is something we tell guys to do all the time. If you're feeling tempted in a moment, stand up, let go of the device, put the device down, step away from the device, you know, and like walk away, like change your environment. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing, and we teach guys to do this as well, is try to structure as much of your time as possible. Now, structuring your time doesn't mean like, okay, for 15 minutes, I'm going to do this. And after 15 minutes, I'm going to do that. Like that's going to give 99% of the population like terrible anxiety. And there's enough anxiety yeah. in the world to begin with. But yeah. it's more just being like, okay, like for, for example, Saturday is my Sabbath. Like I stay in my PJs all day. I eat a fat stack of pancakes. And usually I take a nap before noon hits. Like I'm super lazy on Saturdays. But even that, what I just told you, I would count that as structured time because like I know mm. what I'm going to do when I get up. And sir, I'm super chill about it. It's very relaxed and kind of lavish. But the point is I have some intention with my time and how I'm spending it. Those kinds of things um, really go a long way, I would say, for guys in general and certainly for me. The other big stressor that I experienced, which I don't think is very different from anybody else, is stress. Like when things were stressful, I, I observed, I, I didn't really know it at the time, but in reflecting, I realized that when I was in university, Porn for me was my reward after a hard day of work. You know, like mm. I mentioned all the things I was doing. So porn was my reward because I wasn't getting I wasn't getting paid for my work. Good grades don't don't equal cash. So I was getting like no tangible outcome from my efforts other than like some decent grades, I guess. But um, but porn was like an instant kind of reward. 
it was also relief. It was just a way to cope with the stress, the pressures of, you know, trying to get into med school and everything else. So I think uh, for me, again, it was just another thing of learning how to manage stress better. Uh, the Sabbath is actually, uh, I mean, I think it's a good biblical practice. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's law by any means. Um, but the Sabbath actually really helps me just reset my brain, reset my body, get the rejuvenation that I need. And all of those kinds of things are under the category of stress management. It just keeps me in a good place where I'm a bit more regulated, more present, and able to uh, to not go into these kind of overwhelmed, overdrive kind of states where I'm more prone to making a poor decision. So those are a couple of personal examples. Yeah, thank you so much for that, sharing those things. Um, you know, it's really funny because there was one that stuck out to me the most. The other day I was having a conversation with uh, one of these dudes in my um, Discord. And by the way, guys, if you haven't joined my Discord yet, you totally should. <laughs> a little commercial yes. break. There's a great community of us like waiting for you to hop on there and have accountability with. But there's like literally an entire chat of just men who struggle with same-sex attraction. And um, one of the guys was saying that like he hadn't watched porn in like two days. And he considered that like incredible. He's like, man, I haven't watched porn like in a really long time. Like it's been two days. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, I'm going to reward myself with some porn. <laughs> and so that he, oh, that's, no. that was his like logical thinking. Like, what, what do you say to someone who's like dealing with that? Like, especially when they're seeing like that porn and that practice of porn as as a reward are they supposed to go out and like get some ice cream sundae or how do they like find reward are they like gonna find the reward in jesus and worshiping like what what is it that you would give advice to someone like that yeah that's a very good question a little bit complicated to answer but i think there's two concepts at play one is reward the other is fulfillment so we strongly encourage people to celebrate small victories. So like 90% of that story is awesome because if somebody's like, hey, I've gone two days, I haven't gone two days in a long time, or maybe they're just proud of themselves for going two days, they deserve a reward. Like celebrate, reward mm-hmm. yourself. Totally awesome. What you're, what you're trying to do, it, we're always kind of towing this balance in life of like, yes, we want rewards, but if if all we do is focus on rewards and we neglect fulfillment, then actually uh, we, we lose the very substance of what elicited the reward in the first place. So mm. that case in point, if you reward yourself with something that's not actually that fulfilling, you end up more empty than when you first began, which is probably exactly how that guy felt. It was like, I had two days celebrated. Again, that first 90% was awesome, but he just picked a really poor way to reward himself. In fact, what he actually did is he shot himself in the foot. Like he punished himself basically without trying to. Hmm. Um, The more fulfilling your rewards are, the more effective they will be long-term. And the key word there is long-term because that is the the brain that is addicted to porn is not thinking long-term. It's very Hmm. conscious of short-term gains uh, at whatever expense it might be down the road. And sure, back in the back of your head, you know, I probably shouldn't do this. This is probably going to cost me my relationships one day. You know, I, I, a guy just signed up for a program yesterday, last night, um, was very successful in his practice, was, you know, secretly watching porn, sleeping around, hiring prostitutes, traveling the world while being married and having six kids. And he lost it all. So mm-hmm. he sees his kids once every couple of months in person. He gets a Zoom call once a week. His wife has no interest in reconciling. And that's what I mean. Like, those are the consequences you set yourself up for when you engage in porn. The problem is they don't hit you right away. 
So mm-hmm. sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, you know, they're, they're not going to be there. Um, so anyways, to, to maybe to answer this a little bit more directly, if a, a good example of rewarding yourself is like, what is something that is really going to make you feel loved and valued? So mm-hmm. one of our clients, we actually have this kind of novel approach of using the five love languages for self-care. So Oh, wow, that's incredible. Because yeah. I, I, I use that myself. Like I... You know, it's it's those little things that like people talk about all the time. Then you think like, does that really work? And it's like it does work. Like it helps people like really understand like how they are going to process love for themselves. And, like my love yeah. language for people that are listening is like acts of service and um, quality time. And so if like if you want to show me that like you love me, like one of the things to do would be like, oh, do you need help with like camera work or do you need help like with graphic designs or, you know, all these types of things. That's how I process love. And when people do that to me, like do that for me, I'm like, wow, this is this. this I feel so loved. I feel like so appreciated. So those things are incredible. I, I love love languages. So I just wanted to talk about that. Dude, that's amazing. Great segue. So what we would do with somebody like you is we would say, OK, Samuel, so what we want to do now is take those concepts and what would it look like for you to actually love yourself using acts of service and quality time? Mm, so, wow. so that might mean that um, you chunk out time uh, two hours a week. That's Samuel time. You get to do whatever you want, but it's like there's no expectations from anybody. You're not doing work. You're not doing like anything that you feel obligated or pressured to do. It's pure Samuel time. Acts of service. What's something? What's something you do for yourself that you know is going to really help? It could be like cleaning up your office, or you know, whatever it might be. So with um, the the wow. client that I was going to give an example of, physical touch was a big one for him. So like that's like, I mean, you can see where that could go. That could be really dangerous because it's like, well, how do you use physical touch to love yourself when you're trying to avoid touch myself? <laughs> right. Like. Um, <laughs> But, but we brainstormed a little bit and I was like, okay, well, give me some examples because he was a single guy. And so again, just like not a lot of the obvious options available to him. And, and he was like, well, actually, I love getting massages. And he's <laughs> like, I don't even like, I like the way, like, I like feeling relaxed afterwards, but I don't do it for relaxing. I just, I enjoy the touch. There's something about that that's really rewarding for me. So it was like, okay, that's awesome. So then, then use massages to reward yourself. You know, like there's, there's different ways to do it here that are going to be a lot more fulfilling. Now, again, for another person, they might be like, I could never do that because that's too arousing. That's going to turn me on. And yeah. It's going to totally like defeat the, por- the purpose. Fine. Just find something else. You know, there's options out there. But it's, um, it's really about kind of knowing you and I, I like knowing kind of, I guess, what feeds you and yeah. um, what's going to be really healthy for you. And that's the beauty of addiction recovery like if i had to really summarize it in a term it's self-discovery it's just understanding yourself better learning what makes you tick learning what puts you in distress learning how you need to respond in a healthy way it's just it's understanding yourself better and all of these collectively lead to that place of freedom yeah man that's so beautiful because i think you are 100 percent correct like your research has done you well <laughs> and your experience <laughs> has done you well because i'm currently like walking through that too now like i wouldn't say that i've had complete success in um this pornography like addiction that i've had um and i didn't even consider it addiction like to me it was just like it was very normal like everyone around me was doing it for such a long time and then when i came to christ i was like oh yeah you know it's not gonna be a big deal i'm gonna be able to tackle this with the lord and then i had such a hard time for almost three years like really not understanding like i i would listen to preachings and i would listen to uh like i would read books and I just felt like I wasn't walking away with the, these key aspects of things. And like you talking about 
uh, all this value and like this uh, like love that we can experience and how to process those things like guys this is gold like this is beautiful like what is being said because it took me like years to like even fully, like i would i would search up articles on google and um it would just be like well you know i didn't have freedom for like years and then out of nowhere just like one day i woke up and i had freedom like because it was like the lord you know i had to be like okay well am i just supposed to like wait 10 years and like maybe one day i'll wake up and it'll just be gone like what can i proactively do and these things they actually really do help because it's been helping me in my own journey as well like there's i've been able to understand like who i am what are my triggers like how i respond to those triggers like am i loving myself in certain situations am i doing stuff to to myself that is is just not right emotionally for me that it's going to harm me later on with my progression and and this addiction and so it is a process of self-discovery. And I think that's really hard sometimes for men even because men don't ever like, they almost see themselves as um, other than in a, in a way. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's like everything before them because men are taught like you can't cry, like you can't have right. emotions, um, like all you do is provide for your family. Like everything is outside of yourself. It's never like about what's like you like and so many guys that i deal with on the on especially living in miami it's like very shallow culture here but (laughs) um i go to the gym and i have a talk with guys and most guys like all they can talk about is like sports and like this thing or their job and they never talk about what's going on with them like you ask them how are you and it's like they don't even exist within like their own minds to themselves and that's really bad because then they can't reflect back on some of the actions that is going on within them so like what what advice would you give to someone who is like like that that stereotypical like masculine man who's been taught like can't feel you can't cry you can't do any of these types of things how does he first have that self-awareness that you were talking about it's like one of the pillars like what yeah. what is a practical step for that self-awareness that you could start them off on yeah so the most helpful thing to remember is that the reason you cultivate self-awareness is for your quality of life So I think it's really important because a lot of guys are hearing like, you should be more emotional. Guys are so insensitive. Like we need to get in touch with our feelings. We need to increase our emotional intelligence. And you know, some guys are responding being like, okay, like I'll I'll learn, right? And some guys are like, I don't need to do that stuff. But the reason these things are valuable, which is not what people are talking about, is that increasing your emotional intelligence and your self-awareness actually enhances your quality of life. Your quality of life is specifically correlated with your quality of relationships. And where most guys fail as they go further on in life is in their relationships. They're not able to experience deep, meaningful connection because nobody's ever taught them how to do it. Nobody gave them the skills or gave them the permission, as you're saying, Samuel, nobody gave them the permission to actually go and learn those skills so that they could open up on a, on a more meaningful level to their loved ones and experience that kind of emotional connection. So. For somebody who's maybe like, okay, Sathya, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I do need to get started, um, but I am just so blocked off. It's not like I'm suppressing it. Um, it's just not there. Or I've suppressed it for so long that I don't, I don't have access to it anymore. Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the best things you can do as a starting point is start asking yourself questions. So as an example, so I was that person. Like I was, I was super numb. I was very brainy, right? So just very logically driven. I would say I, I can be emotionally intuitive and perceptive of other people, but I hated sharing about myself. I was like everything at sort of an arm's length. And interestingly enough, in some of my earlier romantic relationships, 
typical feedback was like, I feel like I don't actually know you. Like, I feel like I don't, I, I don't ever get to hear about the hard things in your life or what's really going on. And I was like, yeah, this is what guys do. We talk, we talk about sports, you know, like we'll talk about things, no problem, but like, don't ask us to go to those deeper inner places. And one of my mentors was the, actually the person who pointed it out. And, and she basically said to me, she's like, she's like, it's not as scary as you think. All you need to do is start asking yourself, what am I feeling? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So I tried it for a week. And after a week, I was like, Kathy, this stuff doesn't work. I've been asking myself what <laughs> I feel. I don't have any more information. She's like, perfect. Just keep doing it. Like, okay. And eventually with time, as I start to think about it more, I start to find feelings. I started to find those little buggers underneath the surface there. They, they were there all along, but now mm-hmm. I was able to kind of access them. I was able to sort of figure out, oh, wow, yeah, I actually feel a little bit upset, you know, about what was going on there. Now, I don't think everybody's maybe necessarily as suppressed as I was, but I think in general, asking that question of what am I feeling is really useful. We also give our guys, uh, we, we call it the feel wheel. You can Google the feel wheel. It'll show up. It's a great <laughs> little wheel. device. Yeah, it's basically like giving you vocabulary to start naming some of your emotions, which sounds very trivial. But if you think about it, like if you have grown up your whole life and nobody ever taught you how to communicate your emotions and even articulate them, a tool like that's actually invaluable. That's like one of the things we get the most feedback on in our program is like, this thing's awesome. And we teach it in conjunction with our journaling process. And so guys, guys love it. But all it's to say is like, that would be a great starting point is just start asking yourself, what am I feeling? And just get used to kind of putting some language on what you feel. And then if you want a more like, I guess, advanced step, it's start getting really good at communicating that to other people. So don't just have the awareness, but the better you can express it, articulate it to someone, that might mean that you just journal it and it's just between you and God as a starting point before you share it with another human, totally fine. But just start to get really good at sort of articulating what you're feeling, kind of giving some people insight into what that internal experience is like. Um, that's sort of the next step after you start to identify emotions. That's so incredible, man. That's And that's such a practical step. Um, I think sometimes like as religious people <laughs> or people who believe in Jesus, um, sometimes we just think that like all that pressure that we put is, is just going to come from like Jesus. And we don't ever give those practical steps. Like when I was searching for that as a, as a guy, like I'm like, man, I'm having a real issue with this pornography. Um, and I was looking up those articles, like all I could find were like, just pray more, or like, you know, just worship a little bit more, or like understand God's love more. And like, it wasn't anything practical. Like, I think like the only one who was like really talking about it was like John Bevere. And like his books were like expensive. Right. And so like, I was like, I can't afford this right now. Like I'm poor. And so I was like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Um, but there's so many resources out there. And, you know, sometimes I love, I'm a spiritual guy. You know, you have to involve the Holy Spirit in all this. And that's, that's another thing that guys, I, I like about his book too, is that uh, Sadia is like a Christian man. He talks about including like God in that process having those practical steps, but also including God in those practical steps. Um, because you can't have one without the other. We can't be super practical and like just like uh, change uh, behaviors. Um, and we can't be super spiritual. We're just ignoring behaviors. We're ignoring triggers and, and we're not finding solutions. We kind of have to meet in the middle. And so yeah. you have a resource from um, Sathya there. And um, and you can use that resource. Um, and I'm sure like, what, what if someone's like, how, how much is your book? Uh, it's like, I think 16, 17 bucks. 16 bucks. Okay, what if someone's like, I can't afford like 16 bucks. Like, how can I find help? Do you have free resources to give to anyone? Like yeah, your- absolutely. Yeah, so um, so easiest way is actually to um, to just go to my website. 
So we have a, a daily podcast, as we mentioned. We have a weekly newsletter. Um, we also post on social media pretty much every day. And for your listeners, I'll actually give you, um, I'll give you a special email. You can put it in the show notes. Um, but if they email me and they, because they don't have the financial resources, I'll send them a digital copy. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't normally offer that, but I'm really happy to do that for your audience. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. There you have it guys. But I would recommend, I mean, 16 bucks, come on. That's like, <laughs> that's nothing. So, um, but it, it's worth it. It's worth pouring back into you. It's worth pouring like into your life. And I don't usually like, I don't usually talk about people's books. I don't talk about like people's things, but this is an area where I feel like as men, we have to like, we have to nip this in the bud because if, if like we don't like, it's just going to keep coming back and we have to have some type of information, some type of research. Like I struggled for so many years and it was really, really like, um, not Sathya's book, but like beauty for ashes. And they're all saying the exact same thing. However it is that you want to receive that like delivery process of like, you have to target those roots. So like yeah. if you invest in a book like this, if you invest in like, okay, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this pornography. I'm not just going to leave it all up to God. Like I'm not going to take any practical steps. I'm not going to like do any disciplines. Like if you're ready to change and have that life change, like you were talking a little bit about in the introduction, you're talking about praying these bold prayers. Um, and, and if people are like ready for that life change and they're ready to do something like that, besides buying your book, like how can they also do those bold prayers? Like what do you, what do you mean in the book when you talk about doing bold prayers that are actually going to help people yeah what i so this is the question i'd love to pose to kind of frame that if if 12 months from now porn is no longer part of your life what changes what what does your life start to look like because i think too often in this conversation we're so concentrated on woe is me and all the root issues (laughs) and my childhood trauma and it, it can be really depressing actually but the reality is the reason that we engage in this process is because there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And we, ha- we have to always be conscious of that, like where there's no vision, the people perish. And so I think the bold prayers are meant to be in conjunction with some of those things that you're dreaming about. Some of the things that you know are not quite within reach right now because of the problem, but they suddenly become attainable when you do gain victory in this area of your life. So for me as a single man, one of my mentors taught me that marriage is a magnifier. I had no idea. I honestly thought, yeah, I struggle with porn right now, but one day as a Christian man, I'm going to get married. I'm going to be having sex all the time with my wife and porn's not going to be an issue. And that person was like, nope, wrong. Marriage yeah. is a magnifier. If porn's a problem now, it's a bigger problem on the other side of marriage. And yeah. I had no idea. So that was really helpful for me. And what it, it changed my perspective. So I thought, okay, well, if that's the case, I'm going to trust you. And if that's really true, that means I need to get free of porn now before I meet my future wife. So that was my bold prayer. It was God, whoever my future wife is, Keep her from me until I get this thing taken care of. That was the thing that I wanted, a porn-free marriage, a a healthy family, not passing this on multi-generationally. That was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, the thing that I was clinging onto that was not in reach at the time, but it motivated me. It It was the prayer I kept praying that I kept reminding myself of why I am sacrificing that quick hit, Um, a little Google image search. Uh, In those little moments, it's just reminding yourself, this is why I'm doing it, keeping your eyes on the prize and getting to that place one day. And I mentioned February 2016 was the last time I watched porn. Mm -hmm. I met Shaloma, who's now my wife. I met her November 2016, just nine months later. So God heard that prayer and answered it in a really cool way. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I think having those goals, man, something that'll motivate you. Like right now, I'm about to have this incredible retreat with um, some of my disciples and I, I wanna be motivated that when I show up on that retreat, 
I've been away from pornography for a long time. And so I'm working towards that. And every single day, I just like, I pray that bold prayer. And I tell the Lord, Lord, like, keep me pure today. You know, keep me just not for tomorrow, not for the day before, like just today, keep me pure today so that I can, when I get to this retreat, it is a beautiful, wonderful, spiritual experience for me and for my disciples. Um, mm. And it's a bold prayer for me and it motivates me every day and it's been working. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then I'm like, what am I going to do when this retreat is like done? Like what, what's going to be the next motivation that I'm going to have? Because it, it means yeah. so much. And so for you, it was so important. Like I really want to be pure for my wife. And then for me, it's like, I really want to be pure for my disciples. I want to be pure for my community. Um, and so praying those bold prayers is definitely another start. So guys, like you've just heard Sathya like talk about all these incredible things that you can start today without even having to buy his book. But if you want the full thing, like I recommend, like I didn't really like, it's actually quite funny because talking about Joyce Meyer and her, and her book, I didn't actually like, I would listen to the sermons. I would listen to the podcast of everything that she would do. But I didn't even find like real resolve until I actually purchased a book and I stopped, I like sat down and like I read it. So I would encourage you guys to like purchase the book, sit down and actually do what it is that the book is like telling you to do. Because this is exactly what he said in like the introduction of his book. He's like, don't just read it. Like you can know these things cerebrally. Like, like I don't know how to say that word, but you can know that like in your brain. But until you sit down and then actually start to do it, like it won't actually do anything for your life so like take that first step action buy the book you know um go on his website i have all of that stuff that's going to be linked down below where to find him and his website and all that stuff um but where can people like find you what's what is like your website yeah so uh and your social actually, medias. The, yeah it's just it's the theasam.com that's the website or get a deep clean.com if um, if that's a little bit easier to remember, uh, socials are Sathya, me, Sam. The podcast is called Unleash the Man Within. The book is called The Last Relapse. And we, we do have a lot of, uh, like I, I should have mentioned this earlier when you were asking about even just affordable ways for people to plug in. We do have a, a free private uh, Facebook community called Deep Clean Inner Circle. We do live trainings there. I provide free coaching. So if you have questions, you can ask them. Um, so that would be another way for people to kind of plug in and uh, be a part of what we're doing here. Yeah, that's incredible, man. Same here. Like with my Discord and stuff, like guys, you you have the resources to be able to help yourself. You know, use them. Like use them. Like why wouldn't you use them? Especially if you want to have that like life change. Unless you don't want to have that life change. And then you got to bring that to the Lord. And you got to tell yourself, do I really want this? Or do I really just want to stay where I'm at? So um, thank you so much, uh, Sathya, for coming on my podcast and oh, for sharing for us me. like those like yeah. little bits of wisdom here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is great, man. And thanks for everything you're doing. I hope that uh, I hope that people who are listening just see how how great you are and how how much work God's done in your life. You're such an inspiration, man. And uh, I'm glad we've connected. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm like blushing. <laughs> but yeah, guys, like I, like I said before, pick up the book. There's also a free workbook, which is awesome. That's cool too. I like workbooks, especially like Miles Monroe. He has a book. He comes like, he has a workbook and I used it and that was great. Um, cool. But once again, guys, thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you for joining us wherever you're listening to this. Like if you're driving in a car, like hopefully you're tuned into the next episode and I'll see you next week. Peace out. Bye.